You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. The following is a Podcast One Minnesota production. For those who simply can't get enough talk about the Vikings, we present Bonus Chatter. Bonus Chatter about your favorite team that's unscripted, unfiltered, and uninterrupted. This is another edition of 1500 ESPN's Purple Podcast. Hello, welcome to another episode of the Purple Podcast. Matthew Collar here along with you and with me today from NDT Scouting, FanRag Sports, and also the Lockdown NFL Draft Podcast and contributes to Pro Football Weekly as well. John Ledyard, one of my favorite draft analysts. John, how are you? Hey, I'm doing great, Matt. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. So once the draft is over, because you work like crazy, do you find the nearest ocean? Do you go to Florida and sit by the beach? I mean, how do you relax after that crazy build up to the draft? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's definitely a more relaxing time. There's no question. No, no beach vacation just yet, but uh, it's definitely a more relaxing time and uh, you get to kind of unwind a little bit. The month of the draft is just totally insane. I mean, there would be, days with six radio shows in one day and just, you know, it just got absolutely nuts and you know, the schedule is just so up and up and down all the time. You know, we never know when things are going to be scheduled or anything on a given day. So it's always nice after the draft to get back on a regular schedule and see your family a little more and, you know, eat meals and shower more and things like that. <laughs> shower more is a good one. Uh, John, let me ask you, how do you feel about draft grades? Because I've been uh, poking around to see how people graded the Minnesota Vikings draft just out of uh, my own curiosity. And there is a wide array of opinions on the Vikings draft that some really like the players that they got and others think that they missed out on one of the potential very high-end guard prospects. So how do you feel about grades, and what is your kind of overall view of the Vikings draft? Yeah, I mean, I think that anybody who dismisses grades out of hand, you know, isn't really paying attention to what the entire process is about. And, I mean, if you if you look at this draft process, it's all about us giving our opinions on players, um, you know, and what they'll do in the NFL. So, like, you know, that's all the draft grades are. I don't know why people – I know why people react strongly to them because for, for months it's a process of, you're separated as a fan from any all of these players because they're not on your team yet. So you could say anything you want about them. You know, it's like my process basically in the first round with criticizing the Steelers' Terrell Edmonds pick. You know, it's that I, I could have done that right up until the, the moment he was announced as the pick, and everybody would have been on my side because they, you know, they trust <laughs> my draft analysis. The moment the Steelers decide to select them, then it becomes totally different in the mind of the fans. So really that's what you're dealing with the grades too. You know, people take it so personally when it's, you know, really just a team you root for, man, that's it, <laughs> you know, so um, it, it, it kind of skews the whole process for fans, but they read them first, and second, we're entitled to be able to give our opinion on draft grades because we spent all this time analyzing them, and that does, process doesn't stop for us once they have an NFL team. Right. We may like to fit more, we may like to fit less, we may like their chances of success more or less based on a team, we're certainly allowed to do that, but, you know, we shouldn't not be allowed to comment and, and criticize and you know, and praise and sure, just like everything else in a couple of years, 
if we're end up wrong, we end up wrong, and that we need to be held accountable for that. But to say that they can't be offered and we can't offer draft grades is completely illogical when you you know take compare the, that fact to the fact that we just did this basically for months. You know, we can't uh, you know be not allowed to share our opinions once the, the whole thing has gone down. So. There were some people critical of the Vikings draft, I thought. I get it. You know, the the interior offensive line was really the one big need on the team, I think. And, you know, they didn't take one with those first couple of picks and, you know, until later in the draft. So, you know, it becomes, you know, when Colby Gossett's your first first guy that you grab, it it gets a little bit concerning. And I get that, and I agree. I think they should have addressed the position. But it's hard for me to say they didn't get good players where they got them, too, you know. So, and I think there is some level of you want to trust Rick Spielman. He's done a terrific job. He's really built a strong, competitive team from top to bottom, you know, and he just built that defense basically from draft picks and knowing who to sign and who to not sign and who to resign. And so I think that there is that level of trust. And I think Mike Hughes, for example, is a perfect fit uh, for their defense. So it's less about the picks they took being bad players and more about the fact that you know people wanted them to address the need. I thought they should have addressed the need, and they didn't really address it with anybody who could help them this year. Yeah, I am 100% with you, and that's what I think makes the Vikings draft a difficult one to grade. And and just to, to be on your side there, I mean, we pick the schedule, right, when it comes out. We make lots of predictions in football because we don't play games sure. for a while. So, it, I mean, it's sports is always like that, and a lot of times we're wrong, which is why we continue to watch sports. Um, but you're also taking the information you know about what the team needed and where the players were graded and seeing how that matches up with what they actually did, and it makes a lot of sense to analyze it that way. I think people just love going back and saying, Russell Wilson was drafted and they got a C minus grade from whatever outlet, so right. grades are stupid. Like, well, I mean, right. maybe at the time it, it didn't really seem like it was going to be a great pick, and then a third round quarterback was an outlier, like uh, right. Russell Wilson. But exactly. um, and you can't lose, use the outliers to justify and condemn a whole process. You know, there's always going to be outliers. None of this is foolproof, uh, but certainly every individual analyst should be allowed to express an opinion. Now, for me, it's hard to apply a letter grade specifically to these things. You know, I just, I don't really see it that clear cut. It's hard to, you know, especially if you're doing A minus, A, B plus, you know, it just, <laughs> it becomes very difficult to, the, that process just seems so ambiguous to me. But certainly ranking the classes maybe to a degree or, or giving five that are your favorite or five that are ones that you really dislike, uh, generally speaking, you know, I think well, that all those things can be beneficial and you can explain your things from a good perspective and then eventually you go back and, you know, last year I said the Saints hands down had the best draft in the NFL and that looked, <laughs> turned out to be right. And as a bunch of people have reminded me recently, back when I was first starting out and I didn't know anything, I said the Browns had a good 2014 draft. <laughs> you know, some, of the, some of that was out of my hands with Manziel's character issues that I didn't, you know, I knew there was concerns, but nothing to the extent of what it turned out to be. And I didn't know Justin Gilbert didn't care about football. So those things came back to bite me. And there's always a part of the process you don't know too. So you know, there's, there's definitely two sides to this at all times, I think, and it's important to keep that in mind. Well, I was definitely on that same side with Johnny Manziel, where I thought it, it, the guy has this gamerness to him, and that usually uh, somebody who can be that creative and make plays, he's got an arm, he's an athlete. I, I liked all that stuff. I didn't mind mm-hmm. the moxie, uh, but then you didn't know he was doing so much cocaine. So that's like... 
Yeah, like you said, right. so, some stuff you're always going to have that you just didn't know and uh, maybe the teams didn't know as well. And then he mentioned not really liking to study football film or strategy. Yeah. That, that also hurts too, and that's another thing that as an outsider, it's, just, it's hard to know, and clearly his team didn't know either. But right. circling back to the Vikings, I separated into two different categories how I would grade the prospects that they got and how I would grade them fulfilling their needs. The cornerback to me was a need, so they get something there. A future left tackle is a good thing if someone has that that high of a ceiling like I think Brian O'Neill does, but not coming away with a starting guard and now having it be between Danny Isadora, Tom Compton, or moving Mike Remmers, those options just don't seem very good, John. Yeah, I mean, nothing is guaranteed when you take a left tackle that needs as much development as O'Neill does, but I will say I think he was definitely a better prospect than Colton Miller and a better prospect than Jerron Christian. So those three were kind of seen as the athletic developmental tackles types in this class. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, and so I think that being able to take him made some sense there because you have a perfect plan in place for Minnesota, right? He's, you want to transition to more zone concepts with Dalvin Cook as your running back, and that's mm-hmm. the scheme that he's best suited for. He doesn't have to start right away. In fact, he's probably the fourth offensive tackle there. There's a high ceiling with him. Eventually, they're going to want to tackle. It's probably good value based on the way their board fell with that plan all in mind, and that context all in mind. So you like his spot a lot more than you like Colton Miller's, even if you thought they were similar, you know, in terms of skill set, because Miller, you know, he could have to start right away at right tackle, or they're just going to be hurt at right tackle while they wait for him to start, and they're going to want him to start here soon. And, you know, Donald Penn's situation with aging, and he could, I mean, he's getting up there. He's like 35 now. So, you know, Miller's, Miller's position, his spot, and, you know, and being with Tom Cable and the terrible track record that he has with developing, you know, raw offensive linemen, it all just kind of adds up to a real, like it has every ingredient kind of when you analyze, and this is what we do, the, gra- the grades process and everything, everything about Colton Miller's situation kind of adds up to a disaster in Oakland. You know, whereas I think O'Neal, if you were going to pinpoint a situation for him to end up in, Minnesota's about perfect there, you know, so – now it depends how they develop them. It's still a long trial. Like I said, you know, they, they, the NFL just does not tend to develop raw tackles very well, especially guys that need as much strength added as O'Neill does. Yeah. Um, I like certain things about O'Neill. I think his pass sets are really clean, and that's not something you can say for Miller. And so I think because of that, O'Neill, there's some development that could, that could happen there because he does get so so good into his kick slot, and, and he does explosive out of his stance and things like that. So there's a lot there to work with with O'Neill. I just think he's still far away, and that's okay for Minnesota. So, again, it's a very good pick in terms of the context of what they have in place and what he could potentially be down the road. But you don't make the pick unless you trust your coaches to develop him and unless he's a really high value on your board. And obviously taking him over interior offensive line at that point with the need they had there was a big question mark as well. Very interesting to me that uh, our friend Brandon Thorne put it very well in saying that Colton Miller's athleticism wowed and surprised people at the Combine, where I don't think O'Neal's did based on what you see on tape, where you were surprised that Miller ran that fast. You weren't surprised that Brian O'Neal ran that fast. Uh, when you watch him and in terms of the left tackles who become stars, they're usually great athletes. There are a handful of outliers, like we said before about other guys, third round quarterbacks, but usually, you know, your Trent Williams, your Lane Johnson, these guys are great athletes. But, uh, with Mike Hughes in that first pick, 
It seems that the Vikings just went with the guy that was at the top of their board and said, look, we're going to see what happens in the second round. Probably one of these guards will fall, but we've got a, a cornerback prospect who's really good here and we want to take him. Where did you have Hughes among the other top corners? I had Hughes number three, actually. So the corners came off on the, bo- on the board in the NFL exactly how I had him, which I was not expecting at all. Um, you know, I mean, I thought Denzel Ward would go first and he was first for me. I thought Joshua Jackson would probably go second. Maybe even Isaiah Oliver sneak up into that portion. And I thought Mike Hughes would go later in the second round. Uh, and I didn't know where Jair Alexander was going to come off the board. So, you know, for Alexander to go second was really cool um, because he was the corner I was high on. But then, I mean, Minnesota's situation is Hughes is their type of player, you know, so the fit made sense. I bet he was high, as high on their board as he was on any other teams. Um, so, you know, from, from that perspective, the fit made a lot of sense. I think you could see definitely ways that he'll develop uh, there. And he doesn't have to start right away, but I do think that he could if he needed to. Um, you know, there are certainly aspects of his game that can be improved on, I think. But, you know, that'll be something they have to evaluate. And, you know, is looking at Hughes and, and seeing if, uh, you know, if he's a fit in for them in terms of being the long-term guy. And that's what they certainly hope. Uh, for Trey Waynes, uh, who, you know, the, this, this is, again, it has to open up something for you in the future. And it means, you know, you're probably not re-signing Waynes in a couple of years and you need that money to be able to sign guys like Hunter and they just signed Kendricks. And, and so I think that all that's important to keep in mind in context too of trying to keep the roster together and what a move like that allows you to be able to do. So again, it's, it leaves a weakness. And I don't think they were blind to that. I think they, they accepted, you know, okay, you know, we, they thought they would be able to get an interior offensive lineman. Then like everybody got drafted in the first eight picks of the second round and they weren't expecting that probably with Corbett and Hernandez and Smith all coming off the board and Daniels too, all coming off the board like right away. And it just showed how good the class was. The NFL valued the spot so much. Uh, but that kind of, you know, ran the table way earlier than Minnesota thought it would on most of the top prospects there. And I thought they would have liked Crosby a little more, but I think they're really serious about adding athleticism and really wanting more zone scheme type of guys. I mean, it certainly showed with O'Neill and with Gosson later in the draft. So, you know, maybe that being their target, that was, they were kind of out on the rest of the guys until later in the draft. Do you see Hughes as a guy that could potentially play nickel? I, you know, I thought about that. I, I don't really see it as being super evident in what he does. I mean, he certainly is size would lend some teams to wanting to put him inside a nickel because he isn't the tallest or longest guy. But, you know, he, he plays pretty big and he plays pretty physical on the outside. You don't see his size being a real issue at times. And so it, it will be interesting to see what they do with him. I would say this, he definitely isn't a natural nickel. Um, and, and he's definitely at his best when he is matching up on the outside and getting a receiver's face to the line of scrimmage. He's not very instinctive or, or you know, from an off-ball standpoint, in terms of breaking on routes and making plays on the ball, you know, like a Josh Jackson would. So how they use him is going to be key. You know, I didn't think he was a first-round talent or anything, but I had him there in that early day two portion. I really like this tape and think he does a lot of really good things to disrupt receivers, and that's a big part of the game. You know, discouraging receiver, uh, disrupting receivers at the line of scrimmage and really distur- disturbing kind of the throwing windows down the field. And I think he does a really good job of that. So. I don't see him as a natural nickel, but, you know, I think they will try probably try and use him there, and in certain situations, maybe those matchups could be good for him. Yeah, that position is going to be one to watch because Terrence Newman's coming back, and at 39 year old, years old last year, he played more than half the snaps and played nickel despite having played outside for most of his career. Just no problem for Terrence Newman at 39 years old to transition to a different spot, right? And then He's the, he's the eighth wonder of the world. Isn't, isn't it incredible? 
Yeah, he's incredible. It, it makes it makes absolutely no sense that a guy yeah. could do that. I mean, at this point, he's probably running a four seven forty, but uh, it doesn't. <laughs> it does not matter because his mind is far ahead of everybody else. And then Mackenzie mm-hmm. Alexander is still in the mix here, but drafting another corner certainly doesn't look good for his future. Yeah, I really like Mac. You know, he was a good, he was a, uh, one of my top corners coming out. Um, you know, he just I don't really love. The fact that he got put on the inside, I didn't ever really saw that as natural for him. I liked him on the outside. There were, you know, but it's still, it's it's a pretty big condemnation for a player if you go to Minnesota and don't develop. I mean, they just had done such a good job, and you know, I, I don't know, I don't know that he was terrible last year or anything. I just think they feel like they can upgrade that spot, maybe do more with it, and he, again, just doesn't make enough plays on the ball, and that's, you know, that's a concerning thing to me that I think I really value a lot more now. Uh, than I did at the time. You know, when you're evaluating corners in college, if they don't make a lot of plays on the balls at that ball at that level, they're not going to probably do it in the NFL. And there's just not a lot of schemes that value guys like that, especially man-heavy schemes. You know, if you're in a man-heavy scheme and you can't find the football and make plays on it, you know, you're either getting mossed at the catch point or just not getting thrown at a lot. And we know Mac isn't in the latter category. So I just think that, that, that he just – that limitation for him you know, he's as athletic as he is, and I think he does some really good things uh, in terms of his movement skills and being able to mirror and match guys. Just never has been a guy that's made a lot of plays on the ball, and you know that that really is in Minnesota scheme anyway. That's really hurt him. It reminds me of hockey, where they would sometimes teams would draft guys based on their skating ability, but they didn't put up big goal scoring numbers in college. Yeah, and they would right. say, well, you know, in the NHL he'll do this or he'll do that. But if they didn't score at that level, or like you're saying, if they didn't make plays on the ball at this level, it's going to be yep. really, really hard to do at the NFL level. Um, looking, right. looking down the Vikings draft a little bit more, anybody catch your eye? They decide to move out of the third round and take uh, Jalen Holmes early, which I'm still trying to figure out how J-A-L-Y-N is Jalen, but Fred Favre <laughs> played here, so that's fine. And uh, Tyler Conklin, kind of an intriguing tight end, jump out of the gym type of guy, but not the fastest. And I gotta say, John, I'm just anti-draft a kicker in the fifth round. I just can't. I, yeah. I don't understand that pick. Yeah, I, I don't either. And you know, which one of they took Carlson, right? Yeah, Daniel Carlson. So Carlson's actually somehow I don't know how I forget how, but my my wife's family knows his family, or acquaintances, or something like that. But. Uh, you know, here's the thing with the Carlson pick. Not only did I take a kicker fifth round, and I don't want to get into kicker analysis too much, but, you know, on the Locked On NFL Draft podcast the other day, Trevor Sigma and I, we talked about this. They didn't even take – I don't even think they took the best kicker, you know. And two kickers got drafted and four punters got drafted. And three punters went in the fifth round, and Carlson was the highest drafted kicker. And, you know, you compare his numbers. I mean, last year he kicked like 74% or something, you know. So, you know, it just kind of – you'd like to see more convincing numbers than that. I mean – I know there's more to kicker analysis, but is there really? You know, <laughs> right? I mean, Does it go in or no? Long and kick it accurate. I don't know that there's a whole lot more to it unless he was getting botched snaps every second. So there were some questionable picks, but I, I mean, I really like Conklin. You know, I think that I knew he was going to go somewhere in that range, uh, but I think he helps you in the red zone right away. That's obviously a big priority. You know, Minnesota felt like they did. I don't have the numbers, but felt like they did pretty well down there. A lot of situations last year, and having another mm-hmm. guy that can be a threat for you and. You know, what Conklin did a lot of time at Central Michigan was they would put him on the backside of three-by-one formations and have him be the single receiver side and, you know, throw up those fades to him. And he, you know, he's a former basketball guy, 
you hear that said a lot, but doesn't always mean something. But with him, I think it does, you know, just really strong, natural hands. Um, knows how to use his body to kind of shield and really good concentration. You know, you see him make some, you know, simple routes and like the ball's thrown low and he just kind of plucks it. And it's just a, a clean catching motion. I've actually heard NFL people talk about it, just how good his hands are. And that can be overlooked, I think, at some points. And yeah, he doesn't separate great. He's not a great athlete in terms of being on the ground and being able to, you know, maneuver around people or, you know, shake defenders in his route or anything like that. But he's pretty good attention to detail and his ball skills just show up so often on tape. You know, he's the kind of guy you want as a number two tight end. You know, he's the size and the demeanor to block in line, needs some technical work, but flashes on tape, a very good stock blocker in space. You can split him out wide. You can throw some screens, do things like that. He'll help you out in the short passing game, which is really crucial in today's NFL. And you know, he's going to be better than Rudolph as a blocker. And I know I'm not saying much when I say that because Rudolph isn't exactly a standout in that area. But I think that he's just a really nice piece to have on your team. I think he's going to play a long time in the league. He'll never be dynamic, but he could put up some big touchdown numbers in certain years. Uh, this was my favorite pick of theirs down the board because they went a little differently than they had gone. They've actually drafted a tight end fifth rounder later each of the last three years, but two out of those three were guys that were just really fast and re- couldn't play football. And then the sure. other one is David Morgan, who's a monster blocker. <laughs> and I mean, he could catch anything that's thrown his way, but it's got to be right there and he's got to be wide open. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a fantastic blocker though. I thought he had big value right. for them in doing that. But in terms of getting a football player, as opposed to Bucky Hodges, who was real fast and real big, but that was pretty much it. Right. Yeah, no, I, I agree completely. And I was pretty low on Hodges compared to most uh, largely because of that you know I just thought that he was a guy that needed a ton of work and his testing didn't re- you know there were some good things athletically but as a whole you know I didn't think there was everything there was intriguing and on tape just got physically manhandled way too often and you just don't see that as much with Conklin I will say this with Conklin the Wyoming tape revealed some of his limitations you know he need, he does need some work because they basically used him as a wide receiver in that game and mm-hmm. if you watch other games like the Oklahoma State, uh, the Oklahoma State game in, uh, 2016, you know, that game, you, you could see a little bit of differences. Like they put him in line, they used him as a wing, and he was more effective, I thought, in that role with the matchups you're going to draw inside there. You know, when you put him out in a corner, even, and Wyoming did have a really good defense last year, but, you know, I thought that there were some limitations revealed in his game in terms of ability to separate, ability to win quickly off the line of scrimmage. And, you know, not that he can't respond in terms of being physical back to corners, but, Technique-wise, to be able to work with contact quickly, I felt like that needed some work as well. So he's not a finished product, but you know this is a good isn't a good tight end class at all. And you know, and I thought he definitely warranted a look at that portion of the draft. Funny little Bucky Hodges story on his conference call. Bucky said that he wanted to be legendary, and uh, I turned to my colleague sitting next to me and said, "Well, that's the end of that. That's the end of the Bucky Hodges era. If you're a sixth round pick telling the media you're going to be legendary, then that's probably not going to go very well for you. That you're, you're, there's Where is just he a, now? A disconnect with reality. I think he's uh, with the Jets that they picked him up. Okay. He went yeah, to right. Carolina's practice squad, then onto the Jets, and I think he'll be one of those guys for a while. And then they right. gave him they gave him number eighty four in training camp, which had to have been on purpose, right? Like, it had to be a joke to give him 84. And then (laughs) he was interviewed about having Randy Moss's number, and he said something like, I'm going to carry the torch 
for the number. And it was just like, oh, this my. is, this is great that you're in camp and saying these things, but I'm going to guess that you might struggle with some of the finer points of, uh, football. Right. Um, right. <laughs> so la- last thing for you, John, always awesome detail and great stuff. It's amazing to me that I can go, Hey, this guy, the Vikings draft in the fifth round and you've got everything on him, including watching his <laughs> tape. That just is, that's mind blowing to me. Um, the quarterbacks and how they fell. Uh, we talked about if a cornerback doesn't make plays on the ball in college, you should be worried. Well, there was a quarterback that went in the top 10 that didn't, you know, like throw touchdowns and stuff or complete 60% of his passes and had every excuse in the world for why that didn't happen. Uh, I thought the losers of the NFL draft were the Buffalo Bills for drafting Josh Allen. How did you see the way things played out? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, just... You know, I didn't think that, you know, there were more than one team that was the loser of the draft, but yeah, I mean, the Bills, they made the big mistake and somebody was going to make it and it's more painful, I think, when it's Josh Rosen on the board too and you have to give up those picks. I mean, those, those picks were just, you know, they moved up what, five, you know, a couple spots they moved up, uh, to be, I think five spots. And you saw the Cardinals move up, albeit not as high, but they gave up about half of what the Bills gave up. So, I mean, it was just demoralizing on a lot of levels and then, you know, you like to move up to get Tremaine Edmonds, but man, you just can't give up another pick when you need to get your quarterback help. Right. I know it's tempting, but I, you know, so I'm sure Edmonds will be a fine player there, but man, it's just tough to give up draft assets for a linebacker in a class that was pretty good at the position and they probably would have had some options. And, you know, it just, it hurt a little bit to do that, I think. So, you know, I, I mean, there were obviously things that the Bills did, I think, that helped their team, but I mean, yeah, you, you can't really go till the sixth round until you draft the wideout, man. Like you just, you know, I don't know how you, you rectify that. You know, Allen really needed to be put in a situation where he was going to be a quarterback that had a strong support system around him, you know, a proven offensive system, you know, a lot of pieces in the passing game so they could keep things simple, but playmakers could still make plays, you know, a strong offensive line with protection. And now he's got none of that. So. Man, if he balls out of this situation, a lot of us are going to look bad. I'll say that, but he's got his work cut out for him, man. I mean, this is a tough situation for him in Buffalo. Uh, Josh Rosen, too smart for the first nine teams, I guess. And uh, actually, he's the first quarterback in NFL history to grow up from a wealthy family. I don't know if you knew that. The first one <laughs> just, ever yeah. of all it's time. It's insane. I just don't know how these <laughs> – it's it's bizarre every year, you know. These storylines just kind of happen out of thin air, and there's not really any type of you know reason for them or precedent for them. And you know, you, people compare him to Aaron Rodgers, and people compare his personality to Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady. I think more than anything. So there you go. I don't know what else you need to say. You know, if the level of play isn't a concern, and the personality is like two of the all-time greats, then I think you're probably doing okay. So. Uh, you know, I, the big thing with Rosen was just getting out of the pre-draft process. Just let it end. Where he separates himself is on the field. Nobody's going to care. You know, how many people care about Rosen and Brady and all their other guys? You know, how many people care about their personalities when they're winning Super Bowls? You know, it just, I mean, it, people are always going to talk. They're always going to say stuff. Everything he says is going to be, you know, microanalyzed for the rest of his life. But, you know, now you get the opportunity to get on the field and do what you do on the field. And that's really where he separates himself. So, you know, I, Feel great about Rosen still being a stud. You know, Arizona's got some tough, you know, tough things in place. You know, Mike McCoy's going to have his work cut out for him with that offensive line in terms of making an offense that's capable for his quarterback to survive in. Because I think, you know, after getting two guys hurt last year and 
Now you've got Brittle Bradford back there, and, you know, I just think there's a lot of concern that you could quickly have Rosen in there behind a dumpster fire and offensive line if you're not careful. So we'll see how they treat things moving forward. Oh, Brittle Bradford, that's that that hurts. That's sharp right there. <laughs> um, yeah, just with, uh, with Rosen – it's it is fascinating to me that he would drop because of that stuff. And all these teams, they tell you, they go on and on about all the detail. We went, we did so much homework, we did so much background. Okay, so uh, what was the issue with Rosen? Well, I ran into somebody at the airport who said he's a jerk, so we didn't draft him. I mean, it just, right. it, it's just mind blowing. And I was really uh, interested in what Trent Dilfer said about him because Dilfer kind of had a beef with him when he was younger. And he probably was a bit of an entitled brat at times, as many young athletes are. And then he eventually had Rosen back at his camp teaching kids and things like that. So I, maybe that is where it comes from. Um, I'm not really sure, but it is amazing where some of these things uh, come from. But I'll always take the smart guy who has the best footwork and a good arm and all those things. So Right. Um, I mean, that's the big thing. And you look at Mike McCoy's offense and – you know, sure, he got ran out of Denver because his offense was complicated and intricate, but that's not an issue for Rosen. You know, so it's right. a it's a perfect fit from that way in terms of being a scheme that I think, at least in terms of terminology and some of the concepts, will really cause Rosen to think a lot. And yeah, he'll probably question some things, and there'll be some pushback, and that'll be good because frankly, McCoy's offense probably needs that. He needs a guy that's going to communicate and challenge what his concepts have been in the past because I just don't think. Simeon is the type of guy who's there. You know that I think he's generally going to go out and and run what you tell him to run, and not really do much beyond that, or not really see how that that all that evolves. And I think that teams love him for that personality. That's why Simeon will stay in the league for forever. You know, and Paxton Lynch is you know probably the least mentally prepared quarterback out of that group. And you know he's not a guy that's going to do that either. He's a guy that's going to say, okay, let's, you know, let's do this. Let's whatever you say, whatever you say goes, you know, type of stuff, you know, and for Peyton Manning, when he was at the tail end of his career, that's not an issue, you know? And I think there was pushback with Peyton Manning, by the way. So, but in terms of being able to master all that stuff, not an issue for Peyton Manning. So, you know, I think that, that looking at his types of quarterback that he's had, you know, the Brock Oslowers, the Trevor Simeons, the Paxton Lynches, those are the kind of guys that are going to just, you know, kind of just go along with the flow and not really see the way things can get better. But I think Rosen is more like Peyton than that. He's different. He's going to push back. There's going to be some struggle in terms of that. Um, but he's also going to make McCoy better, and McCoy's going to make him better if they work together well. So, you know, th- that's really the key with all these guys and with all these quarterbacks. We've seen that over the last couple of years. You know, the Eagles, generally speaking, I mean, they won a Super Bowl because they knew how to manage their quarterback room. And that's the biggest thing, the biggest takeaway from everything that they did, in my opinion. And I think if more teams recognize that and work with those guys and you know, what was the first thing they did when Wentz got hurt? They sat down with Nick Foles and they said, what do you want to run? What works for you? What do you feel comfortable with? Threw ideas at him, took his approach, and they won the Super Bowl. And if, right. I'm telling you, if more teams do that, that will lead to more successful quarterback play in the NFL because it, that is the big thing. You have to listen to your guys. And if you have the right guys, smart guys, and nobody ever questioned Rosen's intelligence you know, or, or, or knowledge of the game or anything like that. Everybody praises that, which makes it even more bizarre that he fell. But so if you take all that into consideration, I mean, you know, as you're a coach, that's a dream scenario. If you know how to put aside your ego, you know, work with what works for him and, and make the offense the best it can be. And and who really wants a bunch of yes men? The other thing that sticks out to me in that conversation is just that entitled athletes 
Like, they do struggle a lot. I mean, Johnny Manziel is like the ultimate entitlement guy who just believed that everyone would forgive him for everything he ever did because he's him. And until he got to the NFL, they did. In college, he's suspended right away, but it's like suspended for a half or suspended for a game, and it was a joke. And everybody just said, no, we'll just keep bringing him back. We'll never actually punish him for any of this stuff that he does. And he can half-ass it with the playbook because he's a good enough athlete and all those things. That that's an entitled guy. An entitled guy right. isn't the one who is engaged in the material and wants to understand it and be dynamic with it. I mean, that just and questions coaches. Yeah, I mean, I guess he'll be the first quarterback to ever question coaches. Right. As I see Tom Brady screaming at his coach on the sideline last year. I mean, so. Peyton and Ben and Brady and all those guys are all there for that. You know, it's just, it's never happened where it's it's always like that, man. There's always that friction, that healthy friction, you know. That exists, and you know, I think it needs to be healthy. But at the same time, isn't that on the coach, man? Like yeah. the vast majority of the time, you know, they're the one that's older. They're the one that's you know should be the figure that's that's setting this right example in terms of being able to listen, being able to teach, and find the balance there. And yeah, you're right about Rosen. Like you know, is is the entitled guy the guy that works his tail off and has the best mechanics in the class and the best pure natural thrower of the ball in the <laughs> class and the best and the smartest guy in the class? You know, it just that doesn't really add up. Like the entitled guy isn't the one that works the hardest, you know, and, and, and he does. He works the hardest. So, you know, maybe not. I mean, Baker might be on another level, but you know, either way, you know what I'm saying? Like it's that those guys didn't just like he didn't just stumble upon that ability to to do all the things that he does at a high level. And the funny part was anybody who was asked about him would admit mentally, mechanically, in terms of being a pure thrower of the football, this guy's the best in the class, and yeah. and he's the smartest. So what's the problem? You know what so I love about him too. Back and regret it. I might be I might be reaching on this, but I have this semi obsession with tennis. Um, mm-hmm. I don't watch tennis constantly, but I think about how mentally taxing tennis must be because you can never blame anyone else for anything. Like it's always your fault. You lost to the other guy. The boxes are square. The ball is round. Like you, you're the only one out there. You have no teammates. You can't even talk to your coach during the match. Like if you lose, you blew it. And people who play tennis, I think, have to have extremely uh, high mental toughness. And I would love a guy who played tennis. So I, I think that Rosen is somebody who will be able to handle a lot of the things that come his way. And I think he did a great job at that during the pre-draft process. Yeah, because yeah. if anybody was going to have a meltdown at some point, like wasn't it Ryan Mallett who had a meltdown at the combine? That I can't even remember. I think but it I was. Think that sounds right. Yeah. But but Rosen just let everything slide off and then revealed just how much it motivated him. So I'll be right. I'll be following him closely. But I agree that he does have a bit of a tough uh, tough starting spot. Well, John, um, I kept you longer than I said, so I apologize for that. But just awesome stuff. Love talking football with you. Make sure that everybody. It's not draft season anymore, but you have great stuff all season long. Follow John at Ledyard L E D Y A R D NFL Draft. Awesome stuff. You will learn more about football just by following John. So thanks again, John, and we'll catch up soon. Absolutely, buddy. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And thank you all for listening to this episode of the Purple Podcast. This holiday, whether you're making a Baker's Simple Truth Turkey for 40 or a Murray's Baked Brie for two, Baker's has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup so you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. 
Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy 5 or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Bakers, fresh for everyone.